You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 170, filibustering. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Uh, Both of us have been accused of liking to talk, but I've never gotten behind a podium and spoke for hours and hours and hours (laughs) before, Um, much less to an audience of maybe like nobody, (laughs) but that's exactly what happens sometimes in the Senate. Doesn't the word filibuster just kind of sound like it, like it sounds like a word you would use to say someone's talking too much. Yeah. Like that Phil. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. He's a buster. Good old Phil buster. Yeah. Friend of ours, but yeah. Yeah, the uh, the filibuster is an interesting thing because I think it could be a really good thing and that it exposes topics, and this is me getting personal for a minute, but it exposes topics and, you know, people can uh, can be exposed to new ideas and stuff like that. But I think it's also a bad thing because sometimes it's just used to be obstructionist, and I don't think many people actually hear what's said during a filibuster, like you mentioned. So uh, it's kind of a confliction in my head. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, I, and I guess we can, I feel like we're talking about what we would be talking about at the end of the podcast rather yeah, than at the yeah. beginning. But, you know, in some ways it does give the minority party a chance to disagree or a minority opinion, the chance to be heard. But filibustering has been with us for a very long time. And we'll just get into it. So first of all, what you need to know is we're only going to be talking about the United States Senate because in the House of Representatives, there are rules already in place that say, we're going to discuss this for such and such time, and that's it, and we're moving on. But the Senate doesn't have any such rule. Back in 1789... The first U.S. Senate said, here are some rules, and senators can move to the previous question, which means that they can end debate and get on with it, vote. But in 1806, Aaron Burr, there's his name again. There he is again. Aaron Burr, fresh off from killing Alexander Hamilton, comes back to the Senate (laughs) And he argues that this previous question motion was redundant 
and had only been used once and should be eliminated, just like Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, so the Senate uh, says, okay, yeah, that sounds like a like a legitimate statement you have there, Aaron Burr, even though you're probably going to get tried for treason eventually, and modifies its rules and makes it so that the previous question motion is no longer there, but it didn't make an alternative mechanism. Uh, it didn't make another way for you to stop debate on a dime, essentially, and proceed to a vote. So because of that, filibusters became possible. And then uh, until the 1830s-ish, the idea of a filibuster was kind of just a theory. It wasn't something that was actually in place or used or anything like that. It was never exercised at that point. And in 1837, the first filibuster occurs. In 1841, there was a debate on a bill about the Second Bank of the United States, which we know uh, all about from previous episodes. Hopefully you've listened to some of them. And there was a debate on this bill that was supposed to create the Second Bank of the United States. And Henry Clay, uh, the senator, says, okay, we're just going to end this debate. We're going to have a majority vote. And Senator William King says, if you try to do that, I, uh, I'm just going to talk all the way through winter. And <laughs> you're going to have to listen to me the whole time. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, William King's like, Clay can, quote, make his arrangements at his boarding house for the winter. (laughs) (laughs) The other senators are like, uh, yeah, we're with you, buddy, sir, Senator King. Sir, buddy. Yeah. And uh, Clay was like, okay, okay, guys, I'll I'll back down here. But, um, you know, time goes by and the filibuster is used a little bit. So the whole idea of a filibuster is a senator is going to get up in front of the Senate. They're going to talk a long time and chances are it's the minority opinion. Well, this really comes to a head for the first time in 1917 during World War One. If you remember that, Woodrow Wilson, he's the president. And there was a Democratic majority in the Senate. Well, there's a group of 12 anti-war senators, and they kill one of President Wilson's bills that would have allowed him to arm merchant vessels in the face of unrestricted German submarine warfare. So Wilson really wants this to happen, that we're going to arm these these ships. And these 12 senators thwart President Wilson's plan. Well, you have a majority of Democratic senators, right? And Wilson, he's a Democrat. They conspire together, and they change the requirement for cloture to having two-thirds of the senators voting. So if you can get two-thirds of the senators to vote, they can shut down anybody who's trying to filibuster. Right, yeah, and cloture, uh, Jason kind of uh, led into it there a little bit, but cloture is basically, this stops the discussion. Like, cloture, it's another one of those words that sounds like what it is, cloture. Like, it's just very abrupt, and, (laughs) you know, if cloture has uh, been established, then you don't get to talk about it anymore. We're just going to vote on it. So there you have it. I mean, like, if, if you are on the 
minority side, it's going to be hard to get your point across if there's cloture. And as a matter of fact, during this time, it's kind of unclear, well, is a filibuster able to be sustained against uh, the opposition that is the majority? And uh, it, it becomes really complicated after that. So, so all sorts of people start filibustering. I mean, uh, you have <laughs> you have a lot of different filibustering every day and, and varying lengths of things. But in the 30s, Huey Long from Louisiana actually uh, recited Shakespeare and read recipes out loud during his filibusters, which ended up being uh, 15 hours of debate. And uh, there have been other kind, other times where filibustering has lasted weeks. And, you know, the bill, they just decided, okay, this isn't worth it. We're just going to remove this bill from the, from the floor and get on with our lives with another piece of legislation. So in 1953, Senator Morse of Oregon set the new filibustering record for 22 and almost a half hours while protesting the Tidelands oil legislation. And then you have the famous filibuster from Senator Thurmond of South Carolina, of course. He filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1957 for 24 hours and 18 minutes. Can you imagine now that bill, <laughs> yeah, that bill passed, and in 1959, the Senate was like, you know what, this whole cloture threshold, the whole two thirds can vote to shut down the filibusterer. <laughs> We're gonna reinstate that. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting. I was reading in a Mother Jones article about Strom Thurmond, who had that <laughs> enormously, ridiculously crazy long speech, <laughs> 24 hours and 18 minutes in 1957. Uh, a question that all of us might have, and we're going to keep this PG rated, right? This is a family podcast, but he prepared for, you know, some of those breaks that might need to happen because, you know, biologically we're human and we need to go to the bathroom. So he <laughs> took steam baths uh, several days before his his talk and um, this made it easier for his body to absorb rather than expel urine go figure and um <laughs> well and he also set he also sets up a bucket yeah. uh, <laughs> which just seems you know practical puts it in the uh the coat room next to the senate floor so he could step in with one foot and keep one foot on the senate floor at the same time so you know do his thing with the bucket yeah and he got some help from barry goldwater and um, goldwater uh, asked him after thurman had been speaking for around three hours to yield the floor temporarily uh, for an insertion into the congressional record. So that gave Thurman a chance to run and make his one and only trip to the restroom. That's just crazy. It's just a little bit, uh, a little much, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I just wouldn't be able to drink coffee for a while. But then right. how would you stay awake? I guess adrenaline maybe, you know. Yeah, I would have to have like Eye of the Tiger, you know, rolling. You know, maybe you can wear um, one headphone or something like that. And 
<laughs> I'd have some motivational music, you know, you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the 60s, there's all these different filibusters happening during uh, the civil rights legislation and stuff like that. So the Senate actually installs this new two-track system in the early 70s. And, uh, you know, normally a filibuster would prevent the Senate from moving on to getting anything else done. So to having any other legislative activity going on or passing any laws. But with this uh, two-track system, the majority leader uh, is allowed with the agreement of the minority leader to have more than one bill out on the floor. And that makes it so that people can still vote on things even while they can't vote on another thing. So uh, you could have two or more pieces of legislation on the floor at the same time. You just don't always necessarily know when somebody's going to filibuster. So uh, it's hard to plan sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, really, it's an interesting thing to consider. You've got all these rules dealing with, you know, you have to have three-fifths of the senators Three-fifths of the senators can limit debate, except when you need to change the Senate rules, and then you need two-thirds of a majority to invoke cloture, and then there's other times where you can have a simple majority because the party in charge says, well, we're not going to have any filibustering, and then we're going to invoke things like the nuclear option, which that's a fairly recent word that had been developed Oh, what, in about the last 15 years or so. So Mm -hmm. what you need to know, (laughs) in effect, is the rules in the Senate can change at any time because there's nothing in the Constitution that provides for the rules here. We're making up the rules literally along the way. And in some cases, we are looking at what other senates had done in the past, but you can change. And, hey, why not have the nuclear option? You want to talk about that for a moment, what the nuclear option is? Because we've been hearing that off and on the last several years, and Uh it just sounds like, I don't know, I get that song, you dropped a bomb on me, baby. (laughs) But... Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. So the, depending on if your party is in charge, you might call it the nuclear option, but you might call it the constitutional option because, well, that sounds a lot better, right? Constitutional. This is constitutional. Of course. And yeah. <laughs> it's merely a parliamentary procedure that allows the Senate to override a rule by a simple majority. So that's 51 votes instead of the normal supermajority, which is 60 votes. Okay. So are you tracking with us here? The presiding officer of the Senate rules that the validity of a Senate rule or precedent is a constitutional question. And they put the issue up to the full Senate and they decide by a majority vote. And then procedurally, this allows the Senate to decide any issue by majority vote, even though the rules say that a filibuster needs the consent of 60 senators. It's crazy. In other words, <laughs> the majority party, they can set the rules. Right. 
unless they can set the rules unless there are too many independent members uh, that would not sway that. So they could be the majority party and still not have a majority of votes. That is a possibility that hasn't occurred uh, in the Senate in a while. Yeah. So to really sum all of this up, if we haven't stated it enough, is everything that happens in the Senate is subject to change. And you can have all kinds of crazy agreements at the last minute to change the rules. So you can have different things going on in the Senate and you can reach across the aisle and decide that, hey, I'm going to work with the opposition party. Some senators think that's ridiculous. Others think, well, that's the only way you can get anything done in the Senate. Uh, That was the case back in 2005. Senator John McCain, who's a Republican, and Senator Ben Nelson, who's a Democrat, they were like, okay, we really need to get this done where we are going to approve some of George W. Bush's nominees for judicial positions. And we had basically a gridlocked Senate and nothing was happening. Well, the Gang of 14 comprised of seven Democrats and seven Republicans, and they said, we are going to get things done. We're not going to have the nuclear option. (laughs) No bombs are going to drop. We're going to make sure that these uh, judicial nominees will be approved, and both sides will work to make this happen. So it happened, and you have the Gang of 14. You have rules being made up along the way. You have some things going on (laughs) in the room where it happened that the public probably doesn't know what happens. Probably involves alcohol. Yeah. Or uh, trades. Hey, I'll uh, I'll, I'll let you do whatever you want in this area if you help me get my thing passed in another area. It happens, I think, more frequently than we would like to understand. Uh, And probably for our own good, we don't want to understand but it is important to be informed and to to stay vigilant about these kind of things because it is our country that we're talking about here so remember back when we had you know the episode where we talked with Jen Briney and she talked about how you know, sometimes it's really impossible to tell exactly what's happening and exactly what the bills say uh, all you hear is what the media wants you to hear unless you go in and actually read these bills and, you know, even sometimes watching procedures and hearings and stuff like that is really important, too. So filibustering led me somehow into talking about political activism. I don't know how that happened. So uh, in in turn, I will then talk about Patreon, which is <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon page where you can go to support the podcast for as little as 11 cents per episode. That's only a dollar a month. Uh, you can go over to electioncollege.com slash Patreon and uh, go ahead and sign up there. We, we've got different levels you can support us at. And knowing that we are uh, a good enough podcast for you to spend your hard-earned dollars on uh, it makes us feel really good. And there's even some other levels in there where you can uh, get extra episodes every month, etc. We think that would be pretty cool if you signed on for that level as well. Yeah, definitely. And something that will cost you nothing is to hit the subscribe button if you're listening to us in iTunes. That helps us so much 
get in front of more people because, well, that's how podcasts are ranked. So if you have Election College on your list of favorite podcasts, please do hit that subscribe button. And while you're fiddling around there in iTunes, it will take you, I think, 23 seconds after you have hit the subscribe button to leave us a star rating and review. We appreciate that so much. If you want the fast track to iTunes and our little home there in the Apple world, just visit electioncollege.com slash iTunes. And you can also interact with us over on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about filibustering the U.S. Senate, the state of affairs. Hey, why not? Let's talk about it, and we will engage with you there. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.